Well, here, here is a fun icebreaker question for the next time you get together with a group of family or friends for some uh, conversation. The, the question is this, okay? If you could be given any superpower, what superpower would you want? Okay, if you could be given any superpower, what superpower would you want? I've had superpowers on my brain this past week because we're in the second week of a Holy Spirit series and I knew that this weekend we were going to be talking about how the Holy Spirit empowers us. So I googled superpowers and I was amazed to discover that in comic book world there are over a hundred superpowers represented by various heroes. I had no idea. Now I knew Clayton would know that. Okay, but uh, I had no idea so many superpowers. Now, we're familiar with some of the basic superpowers. We all know that supermen can fly. We, we, we know that Wolverine can heal himself. We know that the invisible woman can make herself. You're working with me. All right, good. She can make herself invisible. We know that the Incredible Hulk has tremendous strength, that Spider-Man can scale the outsides of buildings uh, but I discovered that, that some lesser-known comic book heroes, they have superpowers such as the ability to breathe underwater or to read people's minds or to talk to animals or to protect themselves with a force shield or to travel through time. Some pretty cool stuff. So here's what I want to do just for the fun of it. I want to do an icebreaker across four campuses. You only get 60 seconds in which to do this. When I say go, I'm going to ask you to stand. Yes, stand to your feet. Turn to somebody else, somebody you didn't come in the car, the same car with to church. So I'm going to force you to mix it up a little bit and tell the person you're speaking to what superpower you'd like to have and why. Okay? Go. Stand up. Stand up. Tell somebody about your superpower desire. Okay, go ahead and take your seats. Go ahead. You know, I hope nobody said I would like to be invisible so I could slip out of this service right now. <laughs> All right, if you got a Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, okay? 1 Corinthians 12 in God's Word. Today we're going to learn about the various kinds of, of superpowers that the Holy Spirit gives to Christ followers and why why he gives us those superpowers. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 is one of four passages in the New Testament that contain lists of these superpowers, which are called in Bible lingo, spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. And the Apostle Paul is going to teach us three truths in the opening 11 verses of 1 Corinthians 12 about how these spiritual gifts, these Holy Spirit empowerments impact our lives. If you haven't taken your outline out yet, I encourage you to take it out and fill it out because these truths are going to change your life. These truths are going to change your life. One quick word of clarification, these truths are only true for Christ followers. Now, why is that? Well, Pastor Clayton 
explained last weekend as we launched this Holy Spirit series that the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, is a gift that Jesus gives to those who surrender their lives to him. So no surrender to Jesus, no Holy Spirit. So, But if you've surrendered your life to Christ, these three truths are true of you. Here's number one. Truth number one, you are supernaturally enabled. I want you to say, I am supernaturally enabled. Here we go. I am supernaturally enabled. Now, the opening three verses of 1 Corinthians 12, they're they're a, a bit difficult to understand because the Apostle Paul references the gifts of the Spirit in the opening line of verse 1. And then he follows that up with a couple of verses that that don't seem to have anything to do with spiritual gifts. So let me read it to you. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 12. He says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, I do not want you to be uninformed was a stock expression of Paul's. When it pops up in one of his New Testament letters, you know he's about to introduce us to some basic doctrine of the Christian life, some foundational truth we all all need to know. So what is it he doesn't want us to be uninformed about? Well, gifts of the Spirit. So you would assume that he's now going to launch into a discussion of those gifts of the Spirit. So let's continue reading. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now stop there. Paul says he's going to talk to us about gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then he doesn't talk about gifts of the Holy Spirit. So what's the deal? Let me give you a a little historical background here. The the Corinthians were actually really into spiritual gifts. Now we're going to learn a little later on in the sermon that there are like 24, 25 of these spiritual gifts that are mentioned by name in Scripture. Some of these gifts appear to be rather supernatural, extraordinary, you know, like the gift of healing or the gift of being able to speak in an unknown language or or, or the ability to get a message from God for somebody else and deliver that message. Extraordinary. But but other gifts that appear on the gift lists in Scripture uh, appear to be rather ordinary, natural, if you would, the gift of administration, the gift of serving, the gift of hospitality. Well, the Corinthians were into the more extraordinary gifts. In fact, they felt that the level of a person's spirituality was reflected in the status of their spiritual gift. So if you had just one of those ho-hum, ordinary sorts of spiritual gifts, then you must be a ho-hum Christ follower. But, But if you had an extraordinary spiritual gift, then you were an extraordinary Christ follower. You get it? Not good. (laughs) This is not good. So what does the the Apostle Paul say about the Corinthians' perspective on spiritual gifts? Here's his main point. Let me summarize his main point for you in these opening three verses, and then we'll trace his his argument through the verses. Paul's main point is this. If you're a Christ follower, then the Holy Spirit of God has come to live on the inside of you. And so any gift he gives is extraordinary because it comes from the supernatural Holy Spirit of God. Okay, so now let's go back and look at the verses 
and see if we can find what I just said in the verses. Go back to verse 2. Paul begins by describing the Corinthians' spiritual condition before they surrendered their lives to Jesus. Paul says in verse 2, you you used to be pagans, garden-variety pagans. You were influenced and led astray, he says, by mute idols. The word word mute here means powerless. And, And I've told you before that an idol in Scripture is anything that you worship other than God. So it could be the false god of another religion, but an idol can also be our job. It could be our friends. It could be our favorite sports team. Anything we worship. And Paul says idols are powerless. That's what the Corinthians were into in their pre-Jesus days. In fact, friends, that's what we're all into before we surrender our lives to Christ. We're into idols. We're into stuff that is powerless to give us ultimate satisfaction or significance or security in life. We're into stuff that is powerless to deliver a vital relationship with God. So what changed all that for the Corinthians? How did they go from being spiritual zeros to being Christ followers? What brought about their conversion? In fact, how do any of us go from being spiritual zeros to being Christ followers? Pastor Clayton explained the process last weekend as he launched this Holy Spirit series. He said it begins when the Holy Spirit of God gives us a longing to know God. You know, suddenly we have this desire to to really know God, really know him. Prior to the Holy Spirit giving us that longing, we're just going along, doing our own thing, going our own way. And then after he gives us a longing to know God, the Holy Spirit reveals to us how messed up we are, how sinful and separated from God we are. See, God is an infinitely holy God, which means we're all in trouble. And if the Holy Spirit didn't reveal that to us, some of us might think we're good enough to save ourselves. We don't need a Savior. So the Holy Spirit gives us a longing for God, then shows us that we're separated from this God that we long for, and then he opens our eyes to our need for a Savior and points to Jesus. He opens our blinded eyes so that we no longer can take or leave Jesus. We, we now have a desperate need for him. We see that Jesus' death on the cross means payment for the punishment of our sins. He took the penalty we, we deserve to pay. We understand that his resurrection from the dead means that he can now offer us. He's alive and can offer us forgiveness and brand new life. We begin to get it. But even even after we begin to get it, here's the crazy part. Even after we start to get it, we're still not willing to surrender our lives to Christ. We're still so stubborn, so rebellious, so independent. If it weren't for the Holy Spirit convincing us of our stubborn pride and our need to bend our knee to Jesus, we'd never do it. So from beginning to end, This is all a work of the Holy Spirit. He gives us a longing for God, shows how we're separated from God, points to Jesus as the one who can bridge that gap, and then gives us a desire to surrender to him. That's what Paul is saying in verse 3. Go back to the text. That's what he's saying happened to the Corinthians. Look at the middle of the verse. He says, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, nor can one say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. See, Paul's saying here, if the Holy Spirit is working in you, you can no longer say, Jesus, be cursed. You, you, you can no longer take Jesus lightly. I've got no need for him. He's no big deal to me. 
Instead, Paul says, if the Holy Spirit is working in you, you'll eventually surrender your life to him and you'll declare Jesus is Lord and you'll mean it. You say, well, this is all wonderful, but what does it have to do with spiritual gifts? Well, again, here's Paul's point. He's saying if, if, if you Corinthians are now declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, that can only mean that the Holy Spirit of God has been working on you and is now living in you. And if the Holy Spirit is living in you and gives you a gift, whatever the gift is, it's supernatural because it comes from the Holy Spirit of God. So don't you go running around claiming that you're extraordinary because you have extraordinary gifts and other people don't. Every gift that comes from the supernatural Holy Spirit of God is an extraordinary gift. You following this? So let, let me try an analogy here that will also uh, give me an opportunity to up you, uh, update you on a, uh, something going on in my life that I'd like you to pray about for me. So three weeks ago, I went to a doctor's appointment, a urologist, and I told him I had seen what I thought was a little speck of blood in my urine. And I said, I'm sure it's not a big deal. And he looked at me and he said, well, it could be a big deal. We've got to run some tests. And so he put me through a battery of tests over the next week. I had a urinalysis, and that came back clean, and I had a CT scan, and that looked great. And then the third and final test was a scope of my bladder, a very nasty procedure. They go up your urethra and through your prostate and into your bladder with this scope. And all the while, he's showing me this on a monitor, saying, you see? And I was wriggling on the table. No. I wasn't seeing anything, but then he said something that caught my attention. He said, oh, you've got a tumor. Now, that immediately arrested my attention, and anyone here who has ever battled with cancer, you can remember the day when you heard those words for the first time. You've got a tumor. And, and with, with bladder cancer, it's never benign. It's always malignant, so that bad boy had to come out. So last week... In fact, the reason Pastor Clayton was preaching uh, rather than, than me doing the, the preaching is I had just been through a surgery. Now, prior to the surgery, I got some people praying for me. I know what the Bible says about having the elders of the church pray for you if you're sick. And so I asked them to gather around and they laid hands on me and they prayed that God would heal me. And I, I had our pastoral staff of 40, 50 people lay hands on me and pray for me. And I had family members and some, a handful of close friends praying for me. And they were praying that that, that that tumor would be contained and it would be superficial and easily removed. So here's what happened in the surgery. I can't tell you I know this firsthand because I was knocked out. But the, uh, the surgeon told me afterwards, he said, I was in there with my instrument to cut out your tumor, and as I touched your tumor, it popped and vaporized. Now, those are his words. Those are the words of a doctor. Those are not my colloquial expression here. You know, it popped and vaporized? And so I asked him in a follow-up visit, I said, has, has this ever happened to you before? And he said, no. And I said, could you explain it? He said, well, you know, best explanation is this. There's an electro, electric current emanating from the end of my instrument, and so it's possible that when I touched your, your tumor, it superheated the moisture in the tumor, and, and it caused it to explode, zap, obliterate it. 
Let me ask you a question based on my personal story here. Do you think that God sort of supernaturally, miraculously reached into my bladder and obliterated that thing, kind of flicked it with his little finger? Or, or did the doctor's instrument cause it quite naturally, quite ordinarily, to superheat and explode? What do you think? Because from my standpoint, the answer to that question doesn't really matter. Either way, God supernaturally answered prayer. Now, maybe he did it by an extraordinary miracle. Maybe he did it. Maybe he did it by an extraordinary miracle. Maybe he did it by an ordinary, scientifically explainable process. But either way, friends, it was a God thing. It was a God thing. So just a footnote to the story because I, I want to tie the analogy now into the spiritual gifts discussion in 1 Corinthians 12. But I, I do want to add a PS to this, and that is please continue to pray for me. So I'm still a bit wobbly. I'm still in the healing process. And the doctor tells me that uh, the unfortunate part of bladder tumors, they have a nasty habit of uh, coming back. And so some of you tell me from time to time how you pray for me every day and that it's just an amazing thing to hear. It's so humbling to hear. And so I'm giving you something to add to your prayer list for me. Pray that God continues to keep me healthy. And I'd rather have you pray, by the way, than asking me every time you see me, hey, how's your bladder? <laughs> okay. Yes. Thank you. Gets kind of old. <laughs> so back to 1 Corinthians 12. If you're a Christ follower, see, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, that means that the Holy Spirit of God has been working on you and now lives in you, and this Holy Spirit has given you a gift, and whether this is a high-profile, extraordinary gift, like speaking in an unknown language, or it's a low-profile, pro ordinary gift, like serving, say, serving the poor, it's a supernatural gift. It's Holy Spirit empowered. So let's say for, for, for the sake of illustration, let's say you've been given the gift of helping. It's actually one of the 24, 25 gifts. It appears later on in 1 Corinthians 12, down in verse 28. What's the gift of helping? It's the gift to be able to help. You have a supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit to see situations or people in need and know just the right thing to do to help out. So again, for the sake of illustration, let's say there are a wide variety of ways you could use this gift. But let's say that you use your gift of helping to serve in the nursery at Christ Community Church on the weekends during our services. Let's say, say that's the deployment of your gift of helping, and you're thinking to yourself, well, this is, this is not like a supernatural gift. I mean, it hardly takes Holy Spirit empowerment to rock babies. Now, now Pastor Jim's gift, Pastor Clayton's gift, that ability to dig into God's Word and come up with life-changing principles and communicate to thousands of people on a weekend, that's extraordinary, but I just work in the nursery, let me say something, nursery workers. You are Holy Spirit empowered to do the job you do. In fact, if you didn't do that job, we'd have dozens of squawking babies in our services and nobody would hear anything, okay? And not only that, you saw the parents up on the stage for the baby dedication. You know, this weekend at Christ Community Church, we do this several times a year, several times a year, and just 
This weekend, there will be almost 50 babies dedicated across our four campuses. Did you see how tired some of those parents looked? (laughs) If, If you're a nursery worker, what a blessing of God you are to these people. Allowing them on a weekly basis... Allowing them on a weekly basis to have this hour or so of reprieve to connect with God, knowing full well that their child, their infant, is well cared for in the nursery. Don't tell me your gift is not Holy Spirit empowered. It's not a supernatural gift. Of course it is. It comes from the supernatural Spirit of God. And by the way, if you're a new believer and you're thinking to yourself, well, when do I get this? When do I get the Holy Spirit? You got him now. But yeah, when do I get the supernatural gift? You've got it now. See, and what about our kids? What about your eight-year-old daughter or your 16-year-old son who surrendered their lives to Jesus? They've got the Holy Spirit of God now, supernaturally empowered now. I have a friend who served for years in kids' world. And she would tell me on occasion, remind me, she'd say, you got to tell those parents, if their children have put their trust in Jesus, begun to follow Christ, and the Holy Spirit of God has come to live, live on the inside, and tell those parents, it's not a child-sized portion of the Holy Spirit. It's not like a kid's version. It's not, it's not a Holy Spirit happy meal, okay? They get the full size, the God-sized Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside. If you've ever wondered why we've got so many kids serving around Christ Community Church on the weekends, it's because parents have been teaching this to their children. I hope you will. To your kids, you got a gift. God's given you a gift. And that gift is supernatural. That gift is supernatural. You have been supernaturally enabled. Okay, number two. Here's the second truth I want you to know. You are uniquely gifted. I want you to say, I am uniquely gifted. Here we go. I am uniquely gifted. Now, the emphasis of the first point was on the power of your spiritual gift. The second point focuses on the uniqueness, okay, the uniqueness of your spiritual gift. I want to continue in today's text. We dropped off at verse 3. Pick it up at verse 4 in your Bible. And I want you to listen for two things as I read the next few verses. There's a repeating phrase, a two-word phrase. Pops up three times. See if you could spot it. The second thing I want you to note is the Trinity. Okay, God exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. See if you can pick up on the Trinity in these next few verses. Okay, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Okay, you see the Trinity there? You got the Spirit, you got the Lord Jesus, you got God the Father, and you've also got a repeating expression, which is what? Call it out. No, you can call it out. It's okay. What is it? Different kinds. Different kinds, different kinds, different kinds. God is a God of diversity. It's part of his nature. He's a triune God. He's a three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So God loves diversity. He loves to create diversity. I mean, you just look at people. Yeah, forget about nationalities and ethnicities and races, and there's a lot of diversity there. Just your basic men and women, diversity. Oh, my goodness. Sue and I've got a neighbor 
and he's retired, and so he spends a fair amount of time on the internet looking for humorous articles to send to us. And so, uh, so just this past week, he sent us an article called, Men Are Just Happier, okay, with comparison of the differences between men and women. Let me show you some of these differences. Men and women are different, okay? Men are just happier because wedding plans take care of themselves. <laughs> yeah, I've been through this twice with daughters, you know, once with a son. Car mechanics tell you the truth. The world is your urinal. <laughs> Wrinkles add character. Phone conversations are over in 30 seconds flat. Underwear is $8.95 for a three-pack. Okay. Your hairstyle lasts for years, some cases for decades. A week vacation requires only one suitcase. And you could play with toys all your life. And finally, Christmas Eve shopping can be done in half an hour. Okay. These are some of the differences between men and women. Now, let's talk about the differences among spiritual gifts. Because the Holy Spirit loves variety when it comes to the things he empowers us to do. I've already mentioned that there are four lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. If you want to take a closer look at these gifts lists themselves, you can find them in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, that we're looking at right now. There's actually two lists in 1 Corinthians 12. There's another list in Romans 12. There's one in Ephesians 4. And there's one in 1 Peter 4. And if you add up all the gifts that are, that are listed, there are 24, 25 gifts. We're talking about tremendous diversity. Now, some Bible scholars, in order to help us get our, our, our minds wrapped around the diversity, they have lumped these gifts into, into several basic categories. It's kind of like the, the Art Institute, helping us to get our minds wrapped around the diversity of everything you'll see in that museum. This is the second largest art museum in the country. If you go down to the Art Institute in Chicago, and you will be overwhelmed by the number of paintings. So what the Art Institute has done is they, they've, they've put them in some basic rooms by categories. So you could walk into one room that's nothing but impressionistic paintings. It's my favorite room. I don't understand it at all, but... You know, I like to look at it. And there's another room for American folk art paintings. And there, there's another room for modern art paintings. And there, there's another room for paintings uh, done in Europe before the 1900s. So these basic categories to help our, uh, get our minds wrapped around the diversity. Well, Bible scholars do the same thing with spiritual gifts. Four major categories, they tell us. You've got speaking gifts. These are spiritual gifts like teaching, evangelism, prophecy, tongues. By the way, next weekend, that's what we're talking about, prophecy and tongues. You know, a few of the more extraordinary gifts, people say. Then there are leading gifts, administration, faith, discernment, and so on. Third category, caring gifts, gifts like prayer, encouragement, mercy, healing. Just listing off some of the gifts that appear on the lists. Then there are serving gifts, finally, giving, craftsmanship, music, helping, and again, by describing to you four categories of spiritual gifts, I'm trying to simplify things a bit, help you to understand uh, the working of these 24, 25 unique gifts. But, but now let me go back to the theme of diversity. 
Okay. Here's the startling thing. Bible scholars tell us that it may be even more diverse than, than it looks, looks because there may be more than the 24, 25 unique gifts you see in the Bible. There may be more. There are a couple of reasons that Bible scholars say this. The, the first reason they say this is because no two lists of gifts in the Bible are alike. So there are some things on the Corinthians list that don't appear on the other three lists and some things on those lists that don't appear on the Corinthians list. And Now stop and think about it for a moment. That, that means that the Corinthians wouldn't have known about some of the gifts that weren't on their list because this is back in the day before the Bible had been put together so you couldn't run out to the local Christian bookstore and get a leather-bound study Bible complete with footnotes. You couldn't download an app onto your smartphone, a Bible app, See, if you lived in Corinth, all you had was the first Corinthians. That's what you got. So let me, let me read to you the list of gifts that Paul mentions to them. Pick it up at verse 7. He says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. That's the first one he lists. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. Number two. To another, faith by the same Spirit, number three. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit, number four. To another, miraculous powers, that's number five. To another, prophecy, that's number six on the list here. To another, distinguishing between spirits, number seven. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, eight. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues, that's nine. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, later on in the chapter, Paul mentions a couple more gifts, but here's the point I want to make. How many gifts are listed here? Nine out of 24, 25? So, so, so this would mean that the Corinthians know about less than half of the overall number of spiritual gifts. It's obvious that Paul's intention is not to give them a comprehensive list of every gift out there. He's giving them a sampling. He's saying, as it were, here are the sorts of things the Holy Spirit empowers people to do. And by the way, there are many, many more gifts where those came from. See, even greater variety than we see in the lists in the Bible. Here's another reason scholars say there's even greater diversity than we can imagine. They tell us that the Holy Spirit not only gives us individual gifts, but he gives us a gift mix. So he doesn't just give you one or two or three spiritual gifts. He gives you a gift mix. So let's say that one of the basic gifts the Holy Spirit has given you is mercy. Now that particular gift doesn't appear in 1 Corinthians 12, but it's on the list in Romans 12. What is the gift of mercy? The, the gift of mercy is the Holy Spirit ability to see people in need and to care about them. Okay, you, you see desperate need, you see hurting people, and you want to reach out and you, know, you want to care for them. So let's say if you've got this gift of mercy, you decide to volunteer at one of the homeless shelters that Christ community works with. But let's say that you've got the gift of mercy, but it's mixed with a second gift. God's also given you the gift of administration. So you've got mercy mixed with administration, a very unique combo. What do you think you're going to want to do when you get to the homeless shelter? You're going to want to organize some things, right? 
You're going to want to want this place running smoothly. You're going to organize the cleanup efforts or food, meal distribution. If you know that a second Saturday team is coming from Christ Community Church, you're going to want to make sure that there are jobs for each person to do and so on. Your mercy mixed with administration. But now let's say that you're a person who has the gift of mercy, but it's mixed not with administration, but with giving. Okay, generosity is one of the spiritual gifts. Now, on the one hand, the Bible calls all of us to be giving, generous people, but some people have a Holy Spirit empowerment to make money and give it away. So if you care about this homeless shelter because you have the gift of mercy, but it's mixed with giving, what do you think you're going to do? You're going to sit down, pull out your checkbook, write out a big hefty check to this, to this homeless shelter so that God's work can continue there. But let's say a third person, okay, she's got the gift of mercy, but it's mixed not with administration or with giving, it's mixed with encouragement. What does she want to do when she gets to the homeless shelter? She just wants to hang with two or three people. She wants to listen to their life story. She wants to share some tidbits, input, insight from God's word, something that would be helpful. So you got three gifts of mercy, but because they're mixed with other spiritual gifts, you get a mix a gift mix that's very diverse. There are so many possible combinations. The Holy Spirit has given you a unique gift mix. He's given you a unique gift mix. So now the last question is, well, you know, how do you use it? And so that brings us to the third truth. You, you are missionally equipped. Okay, you are missionally equipped. Sue and I like reading books out loud to each other. And uh, so we just finished this last year. We read through this seven books in the Chronicles of Narnia series. Now, I know they're kids' books, but C.S. Lewis actually wrote them to be enjoyed by adults as well. In fact, the first time I read the Chronicles of Narnia was in a literature class back in college. And so this last year, we read the books out loud. Our our grandkids aren't old enough yet for us to read them to them. So we read them to each other. And if you know the story, it it opens the, uh, the first book in the series, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, is about four children, brothers and sisters, two brothers, two sisters, and they are transported magically to this land of Narnia. Now, Narnia at the time is ruled by the wicked white witch, And it's frozen in a perpetual state of winter, something those of us in Chicago know about, all right? And so so the kids have been summoned to Narnia by Aslan. He's this ginormous lion who is the hero of all seven books. And he's brought them there on a mission. Okay, their mission is to defeat the wicked white witch, to overthrow her and to liberate Narnia. But but when they first arrive, they don't, they don't understand the mission. They just want to get back home. They don't know why they've been brought here. In fact, by the middle of the book, they're given gifts. Three of the four kids are given special gifts. Peter's given a sword. Okay, Susan is given a horn. Lucy is given this little jar of oil. But none of them knows what to do with it. But it all becomes clear when they discover the mission and when, when they engage in the final battle with the white witch and her hordes. Suddenly, Peter understands his his sword is to be used to fight off these these enemies. And 
Susan understands that her horn is to be used. It's got a very special purpose, and that's to call upon reinforcements for help. And Lucy uses her magic oil and her little jar to go around healing people who have been wounded in battle. See, these are gifts with a purpose, gifts that equip their users for a special mission. Friends, it's the same way with spiritual gifts. You know, why does the Holy Spirit supernaturally enable Christ followers? That was our first truth. You are supernaturally enabled. Why does he do it? Second truth, you're uniquely gifted. Why has he uniquely gifted you? Because, number three, he is equipping you for a mission. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 12. I want to look at verse 7 again. I read it to you a few moments ago. Paul says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now if you've got your own Bible, just underline that phrase or circle the common good. The common good. Paul, Paul's telling us that spiritual gifts are not about self-aggrandizement. Spiritual gifts are not about you looking good. Spiritual gifts are about serving others as part of our common mission. So, so when we talk about spiritual gifts, you know, we're not talking about a talent for golf that equips you to win a local tournament. We're, we're, we're not talking about a, a good head for business that equips you to rise to the top of your company. We're not talking about a knack for gardening that equips you to grow the best roses in the neighborhood. We're not talking about amazing reflexes which equips you to win video games when playing with friends. We're not talking about a killer voice that equips you to, to, to compete in American Idol, especially because now American Idol is over, okay? So the, the, the gifts are not about self-aggrandizement. Holy Spirit-given gifts equip us for a Holy Spirit-given mission. What's the mission? When the Apostle Paul refers to the common good in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, he's talking about the church and its mission. He's talking about the church and its mission. What's the church's mission? Oh, friends, the church's mission is redeeming a tragically lost world by, by sharing the saving grace of Jesus and by, by extending King Jesus' reign into every area of life. That's the church's mission, and, and it, it kind, of, kind of puts all other missions that we get so jacked up about into perspective, doesn't it? Maybe your mission these days, your, your mission perhaps is to put a sunroom onto your house. Well, that's nice. But it doesn't hold a candle to the mission God's Holy Spirit has for you. Your, your, your mission is to get into a great college, or your mission is to increase sales numbers at work. Your mission is to see the Cubs win a World Series. Nice, nice, nice. But the church's mission? Redeeming a tragically lost world by sharing the saving grace of Jesus and extending King Jesus' reign into every area of life? That's a mission worth giving your life to. That's a mission worth giving your life to. That's the mission for which the Holy Spirit has gifted you. Now the question for us is this. Are we using the gifts we've been given for their intended purpose? Are we using them? You know, go, go back 
to that verse I read a moment ago one more time, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Paul says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Another word I want you to look at is that word manifestation. What does manifestation mean? If you've got your own Bible, put these synonyms in the margin of your Bible. Exhibition, display, showing, demonstration. So you get the idea here? There, there ought to be visual evidences of our spiritual gifts being used. There, there ought to be a manifestation. See, what if I took you into my garage today and I showed you one of my garage walls has got all my yard work tools hanging on it. So, you know, you'll see a weed whacker there and you'll see hedge trimmers, you'll see a rake, you'll see a fertilizer spreader, all, all, these, all these tools. And as you get closer, one of the things you, you notice is none of them look used. They, they all look brand new. I mean, there isn't a grass stain. There isn't a scratch, a nick. There isn't a, l- a little bit of rust from the time I left it uh, sitting out in the rain. Nothing. They look new. And then you open the back door of my garage and you look out and it all makes sense because my backyard's a mess. The flower beds are a mess. Okay, the landscaping looks unattended to. There is no manifestation that I've been using those tools. In fact, there's no manifestation that I even own tools. Let me ask you this question. Is there a manifestation in your life that God's Spirit has given you spiritual gifts? Is there a manifestation of those gifts? Are they so obviously being used that anyone with eyes could see it? Now, you may say, well, you know, I'm not even sure that I know what my spiritual gifts are. Or maybe you have a sense of what your gifts are, but you have no idea how they could be utilized at Christ Community Church to accomplish the mission that the Holy Spirit has given us as part of Christ's church. So let me close with a few tips, and then I'm going to ask our campus pastors to uh, lead us each each of our, our campuses in a closing prayer. Three quick tips. Tip number one is this. Okay, go to resource, the bookstore, at any one of our four campuses and pick up a Bible study called Serving. Okay, we published this for the first time five, six years ago. It's eight lessons. You could do it on your own. You could do it in your community group. If you want to talk your community group into doing it, I know some of the community groups are beginning to take summer breaks. But, but it's all about spiritual gifts. There are a couple of lessons that cover all 24, 25 of the spiritual gifts in detail. So you'll know, oh, that looks like what I've got. There, there's, there's an entire chapter on how spiritual gifts operate on the job, in your workplace. See, let me tell you something. Vocational skills and spiritual gifts, they're not the same thing. In, in, in fact, the goals of your company and the goals of the kingdom of Christ are not the same thing. You, you know that, right? But there may be some overlap. There may be some ways in which the Holy Spirit of God wants to use the spiritual gifts he's given you at work for the sake of the mission of Christ's church. So That's all covered in that curriculum. So check it out. Here's a second thing you could do. If you go onto our website, ccclife.org, and look for Serving Finder, Serving, you, you will go to Serving Finder, and there, there's a list of over 200 serving opportunities at Christ Community Church. Over 200. 
Okay, and there are ways to filter uh, out according to your interest to you n narrow it down to the one or two opportunities you're most interested in. And when you click on those, we get back in touch with you. We give you a phone call. We give you additional information. And the third tip is this. If you're not utilizing this supernatural enabling, this unique spiritual gift that God's given you, third tip is this. Just try something. And Christ Community Church is a wonderful place to just try something because we don't lock you in. So if you try something and you find out it doesn't work for you, or I thought I'd like this, but I don't really like it, or I don't, now, now that I'm doing it, I don't sense this is the ability the Holy Spirit has given me. We, we don't say, like, you volunteered to lead a discussion group in our Genesis Middle School ministry in midweek, and now, now you want out. We, we don't look at you and say, well, sorry, you got to do that, that till Jesus comes. Now, we'll look at you and we'll say, well, there's a lot of other things for you to experiment with. Try something else. D don't miss out on what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and through you. You are supernaturally enabled, friends. You are uniquely gifted. You are missionally equipped. Now I want to invite you across four campuses to stand for a closing word of prayer, and I'm going to ask our campus pastors at each of those campuses to lead in prayer. Let me just remind you of the three truths one last time and ask you to receive them as a blessing. So put your hands out like this. If you know Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, you are supernaturally enabled. May you sense the power of God at work in your life this week. You are uniquely gifted. You have a gift mix unlike anybody else's gift mix. Uniquely qualifying you to serve in, in, in some way that's going to make a huge impact. And you are missionally equipped. God, I want to pray that you would send us out into our mission field this week, determined that in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to serve you. We're not going to underestimate the gift you've given us because it's one of the more ordinary ones. We're not going to be too proud because you seem to have given us something more extraordinary. We're just going to put the gift to good use. We're going to bring the good news of Jesus to a lost world. We're going to extend his reign into dark places in this world. We pray all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen.